Thank you, Brian, for that testimony. If you're new to Mosaic um, and you're wondering why there's this big emphasis on discipleship, it's because the, the vision of our church is to reach, embrace, and disciple. And where we want to take every single person that comes to Mosaic is to take them through the process of learning about Jesus, counting the cost, and entering into discipleship. That's what we're here to do. And so welcome if you're here for the very first time. Discipleship is going to be a lot of fun. It will be intense. It's not going to be for everyone, but it's going to be for those who really want to go deep and are willing to count the cost uh, with us. And so please sign up and be a part of that. Uh, this school year, I am, I'm really looking forward to it. Pastor Doug and I, we're doing uh, the discipleship for women because thus far we don't have this, uh, women disciplers, but we're hoping that after this season, we will have the women who will lead in discipleship. And so if you are receiving that call right now, even as I speak, um, please go online and be a part of this with us. If you were here last week, uh, you were with us when we kicked off our new sermon series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we started off this series last week saying that the book of Hebrews is a book that God has given to the church in order to encourage them and especially encourage those who are going through a lot of persecution. The original audience that the book of Hebrews uh, went to were people who were persecuted for the faith and particularly persecuted um, by Jews uh, who were in that area. And the way that the book of Hebrews encourages those believers is to show them the big picture of Jesus Christ. And by showing them Jesus Christ, they are proven in their hearts that Jesus is worthy of all of that um, persecution and the hardship that they are facing. And last week, we saw that the author of Hebrews did this by showing how high Jesus is, that he is supreme, he is majestic. This week, he does the exact same thing, but in the opposite way, he shows us that Jesus is worthy because of how low he is, how low he comes to meet us in the place of suffering. And when Jesus meets us in the place of suffering, we actually understand and feel for the first time where meaning purpose, comfort, peace come from. You see, in today's sermon, I want to show you that when we get into suffering, that we look for answers. And we look for answers for suffering. And then the second thing we do is we try to get out of suffering. And we often believe that those are the two ways that we're going to find meaning, purpose, and peace inside of comfort. But the author of Hebrews is going to show us that actually the way that we find all those things is not through answers or by getting out of suffering, but by meeting Jesus in those places. So if you have your Bibles with me, let's open up to Hebrews 2. We're going to look at the first eight verses of this. Hebrews 2 is not an easy passage to understand, but I pray um, to the Lord that as we walk through it slowly, that he reveal what he wants to say to us. This is Hebrews 2. I'm just going to read the first eight verses. And so please read with me the living word of God, which is given to you because he loves you. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray to our Lord and ask him for help. 
Father, um, as we come to your word, Hebrews 2 is hard for us to understand, but we know that there's treasure in there. And we know that you have gifted us something in this passage. And so, Father, we pray, make it plain to us. Let it land on our hearts like a balm today, especially for the suffering, those who are undergoing difficult times in our congregation today. I pray you would speak intimately, warmly, kindly to us. Encourage us to keep running. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, when we look at the book of Hebrews and we open up, we saw in the first chapter that Jesus is high and exalted. And that's the reason why the author of Hebrews says you need to keep running the race because Jesus is high and exalted. Even though it feels like Jesus is defeated around you, even though you're being persecuted, pursue Jesus because he is high and lifted up. As we transition to this chapter, um, it's, if you look at verse 8, it says this, at present we do not see everything in subjection to him. And I kind of want to start off with that because this is a valid um, argument. This is something that comes up from a persecuted people. The question, well, if Jesus is high and lifted up, why are we still persecuted? If Jesus is king and reigns in this world, why are we still suffering? Why are they still putting us in prison? Why are they breaking in our houses and taking our things? Why are we outcast in our society? If Jesus is high and lifted up, why do we still live like this for following this Jesus? And it makes a lot of sense that a persecuted people would ask that question in response to Hebrews 1. And the author of Hebrews then goes to give us a theology of suffering in Hebrews 2. And he go, does that by going all the way back to the beginning. He goes back to the beginning of creation and shows us how suffering came into our world in the first place. And he quotes Psalm 8. And Psalm 8, you have to kind of picture this is David looking up into the sky, maybe at night. And he says, when I look at your heavens and I look at what you created, the question comes into my mind of all of this that you made, why did you put this all under our responsibility? Why did you put us as leaders of this creation? You have made us a little lower than angels, and you put everything in subjection to man. He's thinking about in Genesis 1 when God created man and said that this is yours to care for. Right? All of this is under your authority. And David says, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Read verse 7 and 8 with me. He says, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And the author of Hebrews is showing them Psalm 8 to tell them that suffering is not something that just happened to us, but suffering is something because of our mistake. We introduced sin into this world. It's not something that just happened to us, but it's something that we did to the world. That is something to remember that we're not just victims of the brokenness of the world, that we ourselves are the ones who broke the world. That in a sense, because man sinned and we rebelled against the maker of the universe, now the universe rebels against us, in a sense. C.S. Lewis had a great poetic way of putting this. He said that the reason that the dogs bark at you when you pass them, he says the reasons the dogs bark at you is because they know that you are at enmity with your creator. The reason the dogs bark at you is because they know that you're at enmity with the Creator. It's because of sin, the author of Hebrews says, and he gives a logical, sound explanation for why we have suffering in this world. But let me ask you, does that help you? 
There's something when you're suffering that's deeply dissatisfying about that answer. There's something dissatisfying about that reason. Especially if you're in suffering right now, it's not something that immediately helps you when you hear that, right? It's a logical explanation and it's a sound explanation. Even if you're not a Christian, it's a sound explanation and it's the biblical explanation for why suffering exists. But when you are actually in suffering, that reason helps you very, very little. And that's why the author of Hebrews in this letter is not using that reason to try to comfort people. He's not saying because you are not just the victims, but the perpetrators of brokenness, that you should be comforted. That offers no comfort. He doesn't use that as the reason and the method for bringing comfort in this letter. But we think about that all the time. God, why is there suffering? And why don't you just resolve it? Why don't you just get rid of it? I know we screwed up in the garden. But still, why don't you just get rid of it? And I think that that shows our cards. It shows us that we don't think that there's any purpose or meaning inside of suffering. And so we're asking God, get rid of it because it doesn't have a reason. It doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't have anything for me. And against that, Scripture always shines this light that suffering in our lives is something indispensable. That suffering has an indispensability to it, especially in the pursuit of godliness. And that's something that is hard for us to see, but Scripture continues to say. There's something in suffering that we should see. And to believe that we can only have purpose without suffering is chasing after the wind. Let me say that again. To believe that we can only have purpose without suffering, or that meaning can only come if we get rid of suffering, that that's chasing after the wind. Joni Erickson Tata was paralyzed ever since she was a child. She dove into a pool that was too shallow, and she hit her head, and from the neck down, she was paralyzed and confined to a wheelchair for her entire life. Now, in that suffering, she found the Lord Jesus Christ and found the clues and the keys um, to meaning in suffering, and she started a nonprofit called Joni and Friends. Now, in her book, When God Weeps, which if you haven't read that book, I highly encourage that you read that book. When God Weeps, she talks about this. You would think that in the opening chapters that she would be explaining why there is meaning in suffering through her own experience of suffering. But actually, in the opening chapter, she talks about how she was challenged by another suffering. You see, in Joni and Friends, the nonprofit gathered together wheelchairs and went to go help quadriplegics in the worst places. And there's a place, a town called Accra. It's in the middle of Ghana. And in Accra, you have quadriplegics who had had their arms, legs, their limbs cut off, and they didn't have beds and chairs to sit on and to sleep on, but they slept and they lived on the ground. And in this place, because of the sanitation, the lack of sanitation, the streets were covered in urine and in rotting garbage. And she explains it this way. When they went to Ghana to distribute wheelchairs, she says this, <clears throat> quadriplegics like me, they don't survive in Ghana, let alone on the sidewalks of this miserable pestle in the capital of Accra. Only disabled people who are strong enough to fend for themselves on the streets, streets wet with urine and rotting garbage. And they went to the worst place that they knew to hand out these wheelchairs so that maybe they could get off of the streets and maybe they could sleep at least on a chair instead of streets filled with urine. And they held a worship service to start giving out these wheelchairs to all the quadriplegics who were in that town. Now, 
what happened was they began to realize as they were giving out these wheelchairs that there were far more quadriplegics than there were actual wheelchairs that they brought. And they started to feel that sudden burden and tension in their hearts. Oh my goodness, a lot of these people and a lot of these kids are not going to get a wheelchair. And they were waiting during the worship service, singing songs, and they were counting how many people there were and how many chairs there were. And the numbers didn't match up. And they saw that the people who were in the crowd, the actual quadriplegics themselves, could see that there weren't enough chairs for them. And yet, Joni Erickson Tata says that in the midst of that congregation, even those who could do the math and realize that I'm not getting a chair today because the line is longer than the chairs, even the people who could not get chairs began to cheer at every single person and child who got a chair that day. And that those who didn't have hands, they would make noises with their arms. That those who didn't have hands made noises with their stumps on their crutches. That those who didn't have legs danced with their torsos. And those who couldn't stand bounced up and down to praise Jesus for the chairs that the others could have. And Joni in her book, she said this. She said, I, I said, look to a team member. Even the people who know there aren't enough wheelchairs to go around, they are so happy for those who get something. And as the night wound down, she heard the congregation come together and begin to sing a familiar hymn that many of you know, Because He Lives. And she says she was overwhelmed by the thankfulness, the gratitude, and the joy that was in the heart of quadriplegics who slept on the streets and could not get chairs and they were still singing praise. And they sang this song that goes like this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. And she said she was overwhelmed by the joy that was in their hearts. People who were uh, looked over and the unbreakable joy that was in them. And yet, to be honest, she was confused and rebuked all at the same time. They put her in a car to go to the airport, and she said she was so confused and so conflicted in her heart. And she said to someone who was in the car, at least I, when I go home, I'm a quadriplegic too, but at least when I go home, I have someone who can feed me, change me, and bathe me. At least I have a bed to sleep in. Somebody can put me in it. I have a bathtub that somebody can bathe me in. And she said, she was thinking about this girl named Ama. And she was thinking about all those little girls who couldn't get chairs. And she turned to the African host who was with her and she asked, what happens to Ama when it rains? Who will take care of her? When the streets flood with urine and garbage and she's sleeping there at night, she asked, who takes care of Ama when it rains? And the African host looked to her and he smiled and he said, God takes care of her. God takes care of her. And she said that in that moment, she had bitterness in her heart. To be honest, she said this, oppressive heat, people penniless, a girl with no hands, no legs to walk, no bed, not even a fan, living on concrete. It doesn't sound like God's doing a very good job taking care of her. And she confessed that she had bitterness in her heart. But to her shame, a young boy said to her, as she was feeling this in her heart, she said, you Westerners are the ones I don't understand. He said, you Westerners are the ones I don't understand. God has blessed you so much. Why are you so unhappy? 
And that should be like a dagger to our hearts. He said, God has given you so much. Why are you so unhappy? And she said that she thought about that on that ride to the airport. She didn't know what to say back. And as they got to the airport, she finally said, this is what she says. She said, we want what we do not have. We have what we do not want. And we are unhappy. We want what we do not have. We have what we do not want. And we are unhappy. She's saying that the reason that you look at us and we, feel so, we are so blessed and yet we feel so empty is that the removal of suffering is not what brings meaning and purpose and joy. You see, we don't suffer like you. And yet, the lack of suffering does not create the presence of joy. But my brothers and sisters, that's often what we think. When we get into suffering, we enter into that exact thesis that we will gain meaning, purpose, and joy once the suffering is removed. But Erickson, Joni Erickson Tata had to think deeply about this. Why is it that we suffer so little and we have contentment so little? It's because we believe that within suffering, there is no meaning, and in the removal of suffering, we will find joy. And she said, it's not true. It's not true. At least for those who are suffering, they look forward to the end of the suffering. But what happens when you live without suffering, what do you look forward to? You look forward to more. More. And then comes that poisonous discontentment that poisons our hearts and creates dissatisfaction in us. G.K. Chesterton, he once said that meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain, but meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. So when we think that God just removed the suffering and I will re-enter into joy, re-enter into meaning, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes will tell you, I have done that. And to believe that is meaningless, chasing after the wind. The author of Hebrews opens up Hebrews chapter 2 and tells us that where you find meaning in suffering is not in finding the answers for it, and it's not in the removal of the suffering, but it's in that Jesus who condescended and made himself low to come and meet you in that suffering. My brothers and sisters, if you don't realize that, then you will be chasing after the wind in your suffering. Hebrews tells us that the meaning in suffering is not found in finding the answers for suffering, and it's not found in the removal of suffering, but it's in meeting Jesus in that suffering himself. Let's read verse 14 together. This is what he says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. That means us, children, that we are flesh and blood and we suffer in this world. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same thing. This is the uniqueness of Jesus among other gods. Here is the Jesus Christ who was in the Trinity, and yet he found it fitting, it says. Read verse 10 with me. It says, For it was fitting that he, by whom, for whom and by whom all things is, exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is what that means. Imagine God in the Trinity before um, he acted on the plan of salvation. And he's, in a sense, uh, looking at all of the different possibilities through which he could bring salvation to this world. The multiverse of possibilities, how he could save us. But it says that he found it fitting that the way he brings salvation was for the Savior to suffer. Isn't that amazing? 
I can imagine the discussion, deliberation happening in the Trinity. And God says, this is the way. And the angel's saying, what? You're, you're choosing the way of suffering? That means that you'll die on a cross, naked and tortured, in the flesh. And God says, this has to be the way. This is fitting for the children who are in flesh and blood and suffer, and I must meet them there. He found it fitting that this is the way to salvation because that's where you and I live. You know, when babies are born, and the title of today's sermon is Skin to Skin, and I named that because when babies are born, what happens often is the nurse will take the baby and ask uh, the father to unbutton his shirt or the mother to unbutton her shirt and put the child right on the chest of the parent. Actually, I have a picture here to show you. Some of you, um, it's been a while, and others of you haven't had children, but they'll do that. They'll put the child, it's called skin-to-skin contact. And they'll do that. And when the baby goes skin-to-skin, the reason they do this is there are so many almost miraculous effects. There's so many things that happen that for the benefit of the baby and actually for the mother and father as well. But I'll name you some of the things that happen once the baby goes skin-to-skin with the parent. The baby is able to monitor, uh, manage their body temperature better. Sometimes the parent gets worried, like, oh, is the baby too hot? Is the baby too cold? When the baby is skin to skin, they, they reach that optimal temperature that they need to be at. When the baby is skin to skin, they found that their brains become more active, that there are things firing in their brain, almost as if they're having insight just by being near to the mother. The baby puts more weight on consistently. The baby cries less. It, studies have shown that after 20 minutes of going skin to skin with a parent, that the baby's stress levels actually de- decrease. There's something deeply comforting about the baby being skin to skin. And in that time when the baby is undergoing so much stress, because they're entering into a brand new environment and everything is scary, that being skin to skin with the mother, being skin to skin with the father, there are so many benefits that come from just doing that to be near your child. And as I read Hebrews 2, I realized that that is exactly what God did. That he found that the thing that we needed in our suffering was not answers. and was not even the removal of suffering. But what we actually needed was to be skin to skin with our Savior. Verse 10, he found it fitting. He found it fitting that we come near to the Savior. The author of Hebrews says that in our suffering, we must remember that Jesus Christ came down so that he could be skin to skin with us. And when we enter into suffering, we have to realize that that is where we find our peace, our joy, and everything that we're looking for, not in the answers. My brothers and sisters, I'm convinced more than ever that if God gave us a cogent reason for suffering in the world, it would have helped us still far less than Jesus being near to us. That if he gave us a cogent reason for suffering, it would still be less comforting than Jesus being near to us. In his infinite wisdom, he chose, instead of giving us a philosophy of suffering, he just decided to become proximate to us in suffering. And when I was a young Christian, um, I really struggled with that. How can God and suffering exist at the same time? Maybe some of you have struggled with that as well. Um, And it wasn't because I was undergoing a lot of suffering. It's because just intellectually, it was really hard for me. I couldn't figure out logically how the two could coexist. And so I read and I read. And I read all the different reasons how God and uh, suffering could coexist. 
Right? I read the ontological argument, the metaphysical argument, the Buddhist metaphysical argument. I read all of them. And I came away with this packet of answers that if somebody said, well, if you have a God, how can that God allow suffering? And I had this pack of answers that I would give. And boy, did it feel good when I could answer back, right? When people asked me and I had these ready answers ready to go. But then when I started suffering, when I started to experience suffering, I realized that those answers did very little to actually bring any kind of meaning, comfort, or joy. It was so weird. I had all the answers, and I felt like I was two different people. I felt like I was the person giving the answers, and I was the person receiving the answers. When I wasn't undergoing suffering and I was just giving the answers to random people, I felt so powerful. I felt like, ah, yes, I understand. But when I was suffering, those answers didn't pack a punch. It didn't actually help me that much. But there were moments when I spent with the Lord and in his presence, I felt a wash of his presence come through me. And it was so weird. It was like everything made sense in those moments, far more powerful than a pack of answers for suffering. I started doing ministry to the homeless and addicted in New Orleans. And because of the intricacies of addiction, they had such a difficult time getting out of the streets. And my packet of answers did very little to help them. But when they entered into the presence of God, there were moments when they went skin to skin with Jesus. And in those moments, I saw the effects on people who could not get off the streets. Two weeks from when I started at Mosaic, I got a phone call. My father is dead. He's in his bed. His dead body is laying there. I don't know what to do. Didn't even ask for my name. And I went there and I helped that family, and I walked through this process of grieving, my packet of answers did very little to help them. She asked me, her and her mom would ask me questions about why is there suffering. But those answers did very little. But every once in a while, they would have a moment with the Father when they would go skin to skin with Jesus. And in those moments, things made more sense than me spending hours at a cafe trying to explain why suffering exists. My brothers and sisters, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is worth it and that he encourages us to keep going, not only because he is high and lifted up higher than the angels, because he was made lower than the angels. And he came to meet us in our suffering. And in doing that, we find the peace and the meaning and the purpose that we're looking for in our lives when we suffer. And I want to just end by showing you three things. Three ways that going skin to skin with Jesus in our suffering, what does that do for you? To go to him in word and prayer and devotion when you're suffering, how does that help us more than answers? Number one, the first benefit of going skin to skin with Jesus in suffering is that he gives us companionship when we are suffering alone. And sometimes that's the thing that we're most desperate for. Read verse 11 with me. This is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. It says, Jesus came down and suffered the way you suffered so that he would not be ashamed to come near to you and to call you brother. You see, it's like an AA sponsor who doesn't look down on the person who got drunk last night and wrapped his car around the tree because he himself did that exact same thing. He's not ashamed to call you brother because he's been there before. He knows what it's like. He's cried out in frustration while being in the flesh. He's been called a criminal when he did nothing wrong. He's been in the situation where there was no other option. 
In fact, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he cried out to the Father, is there any other option? If there's any other way, and so that when you are on your kitchen table one day buried in hospital bills and you're talking to the insurance company and you're asking the insurance company, is there any other way? And they tell you that there isn't. It says that Jesus partook of the very same things and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane as you are at your kitchen table crying not because he was sad but crying because he was frustrated. He said, he's not ashamed to call you brother because he's been there with you. And now he can help you. He sits next to you. He is your companion in suffering. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, that's what we need the most. We need somebody who can sit there with you when you're frustrated and you have no other way. And sometimes he doesn't say very much, but he sits with you and you even get a sense that he grieves with you. The author of Hebrews says, he is worthy to keep pursuing because he partook of the same things as you. And he meets you there in your suffering. More than answers, he gives you his companionship. That's why God saw it fitting that he come in this way. The second thing that going skin to skin gives to you when you are suffering is he gives you strength. He doesn't give you answers. He doesn't give you philosophy. But sometimes when we're undergoing suffering, we need strength just to get through the day. When you need a little bit of strength just to get through today and get back to your bed, you need strength. The, the strength that answers don't give to you. To keep caring for your sick family member. To keep getting out of bed that day just to get through. In Isaiah 40, verse 30 to 31, I want to give you this for that day. When you need the strength just to get out of your bed that day. Isaiah 40 says this. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, I want you to see here that he says, for those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength. It's conditional. Those who wait on the Lord, another translation says, that those who go to him, wait with him, hope with him, he will not just give you answers, but he will give you strength for that day. And sometimes the Lord will provide for you and giving you so much strength that you feel like you're soaring. Other days, he will give you enough, enough strength to just run with your faith. Sometimes he will give you barely enough strength to just walk. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. However he provides for you in that moment, he gives you strength. When you go skin to skin with him, he gives you strength for that day. He gives you strength for that suffering. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's far more urgent than answers. Lastly, the last thing he gives you in our suffering when we go skin to skin with him is he gives us perspective. He gives us eternal perspective. Have you ever felt like the promises that are in the Bible are so far away because they're always talking about heaven or they're talking about eternity and you need help now? But a lot of it is promises for later, for eternity. And you're like, but I need that now. But you're promising me that in the future. How do I deal with that? Well, my brothers and sisters, those promises of eternity don't help you very much unless you become proximate with the eternal one. Let me show you how this works. You see, eternity, it, it, it seems very not real. It seems very not real when you're far away from Jesus. 
it feels kind of fake. But as you come nearer to the Lord, as you go skin to skin with him, as you get close and proximate with the eternal one, what happens is eternity starts to become more real than here. It becomes more tangible. It becomes more powerful. It becomes, you realize the actual reality, true reality, as you commune with Jesus, eternity becomes more real. And those promises for eternity starts to invade into your life now. And so the Beatitudes, for example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're not close to Jesus, you're like, kingdom of heaven, I need help now. I'm poor in spirit now. But as you come near to the Lord, you realize that eternity is closer than you think. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. All of these promises, they become more real. And as you go skin to skin with Jesus, this is what happens. Just as it activates the baby, as you go skin to skin with Jesus in your suffering, all of those eternal promises that felt so dead and far away before start to activate now. And it starts to become more real. And you start to feel the comfort and the purpose of those promises. And you get perspective when you go skin to skin with Jesus. My brothers and sisters, I know we want answers and I know we think that there can be no meaning unless suffering is gone. But Hebrews 2 tells us that when we undergo suffering, meeting Jesus in the depths, that's exactly where you find your meaning, your purpose, your joy. And so what's your application? The author of Hebrews starts off by saying, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard and not neglect such a great salvation. What he means by that is that when we're going through suffering, the temptation is to look at everything else. But in that time, he says, my brothers and sisters, we must pay much closer attention to Christ. There's this great salvation that he has given to us, that he has come low, that he has met us where we need us, where we need him. And when we come to that place, we need to pay much more closer attention to Jesus Christ. And if we do, and we go skin to skin with him in those moments, and he will encourage you to keep running this race. Let's go to him in prayer.